Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Earlier this year, something really heroic happened. Something, I mean, really cool. It it happened on the Maryland-Delaware line, okay, on the coastal side there. And I know when you're thinking heroics, you're thinking Maryland, right? That's that's where you think that heroics, maybe not Maryland-Delaware, definitely, you know? And so one day, Sunday, May 2nd of this year, earlier this year, uh, this guy, he's running some errands and he is traveling along there and uh, he's on a bridge over the bay, uh, over the overpass there and there's, a, there's an automobile accident, multi-car automobile accident. Everybody's like slamming into one another and one of the vehicles, one of the trucks ends up on the side of the, the guardrail there, kind of hanging off uh, the side of this guardrail, overhanging this bay. A man a couple of cars back who was involved in the automobile accident got out of his car, started, you know, doing the thing that everybody does. You know, you get out, you're looking around, you're asking for insurance, and he was with his teenage daughter. At one point, they noticed that the man in the truck that is now teetering on the edge of this uh, bridge here is trying to get out of the truck by, like, pushing his, his truck sideways, and so he's pushing the door up, and the door keeps falling. So they run over there, help him get out, and he points at the water, to which they noticed that his daughter, 18-month-old daughter, in her car seat, was ejected out of the vehicle and is now floating in the water. He says he overlooked the side of the, uh, the, the, the railing there and he could see her and she was sitting there on her back sort of kind of um, paddling through water as they can do. And um, then he watches her turn over and then go under. He, sa- he signals to his daughter, yells to his daughter to find the first Um, you know, first responder that he can. And then he jumps over the side of this bridge and rescues the little girl, picks her up and hits her on the back until she starts coughing and crying. And he's paddling water. And then a boat, uh, a boat, a boater who was off in the bay saw them come over to rescue them and pick them up and put them into the boat. That guy is a hero. That guy is amazing. His name's Jonathan Bauer, not Jack Bauer, but Jonathan Bauer. And so he, he himself is a national hero. Have you ever heard the phrase, do you know the phrase, man up? Y'all know that phrase? You say it sometimes, and I guess you could say, I've never heard it said, but I guess you could say woman up if you want to, you know, like woman up, man up. I asked my wife, I said, what do you guys say? You know, we say man up, you know, what do you guys say? She says, you say, put on your big girl pants and, you know, you know, get work done. That's what she told me to say. I don't know why you're laughing, but that's what she told me to say. Put on your big girl pants and uh, man up. The phrase means to step up, to do what is hard to do. Maybe you need a little bit of courage. You step into the situation. When other things are calling for you to run away, you step into the situation. You run into the situation and take care of business. And I know, I know just looking at this crowd, I can see some faces out here. I know some of you, you're that kind of person. You're that kind of person. Like, like how many of you, this happened to you, you don't want to brag, you don't want to brag, but it did happen. And, and you're standing there and a friend, a wasp landed on a friend's shoulder and you, without any regard to your personal safety, swatted that wasp away. I, I know you've done that. You're d- that way. Or you're standing near somebody and they begin to drop their phone and you show Olympic level acrobatics and catch that phone before it hits the ground. Something, you're just, you're heroes. You don't want to brag, but you're a hero. I've also heard that we have amongst us legendary parents who, 
who just, I mean, just mustered up the courage within their heart, picked up their child, and with no shoes on, ran across the hot concrete next to the pool and got their child to the grass. That's happened. I know it. And we are just not worthy to be standing among you. Why? Because you stepped up. You manned up. You womaned up. In this text, we are at the last of our, or the next to the last of our Job series. Next week, we'll finish out this series. And uh, this text is kind of interesting because God in a forceful, straightforward, on the nose, in his face sort of way, answers Job. All right, for a long time, Job has been talking. His friends have been talking. Elihu gave this long speech and Job, God answers back to Job in this very direct way. Look at what he says here in this first verse in verse uh, six through seven. And then the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind and he said, get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. I mean, what God says to Job in that phrase right there is, you better man up. You're going to step into this. You've asked a lot of questions. Now it's time for me to ask some questions back, to get back at you and to get to the bottom of this. Like I said, contextually what's been going on is Job has been suffering. That we know. The Bible says that Job was innocent, that he was suffering. His friends start giving these long speeches. Job is responding to those speeches. Elihu, this random dude, starts speaking and gives this long speech to Job, telling him what he thinks Job should do. And then God responds in this sort of three-part response. The first part being that God makes Job consider the galaxies. And he says, consider all of the universe past further than you can even wrap your brain around and he essentially says in a number of different questions, can you manage that? Can you even fathom all of creation? And then he takes Job to uh, somewhere a little bit more personal, a little closer to home. He brings him to earth and he, and he, and he asks Job, can you consider all of animals and, and nature and creation? Can you consider all of those things? And can you manage those things? And in both situations, we all know how Job would have to respond. And in fact, he does respond earlier on in chapter 40 saying, look, you're right. I can't even think on this level. I can't even imagine this level of detail and management and organization. And so he says, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hush. In this text right here though, when God tells him to man up, he is asking him a number of situations where he's going to get to the heart of the matter, where he's going to get into Job's heart and ask him, listen, you think you could step up and be God? That's what he asked him. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we do, let's all pray together. You pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to speak your word and to, and to preach your word. God, I pray that our hearts would be challenged by these three challenges that you leveled against Job, that we would be honest with the questions, that we would bring them out to the light, questions that we have considered within our own hearts, that maybe our own wicked hearts have leaned towards. God, I pray that we'd bring those to the light, that we would answer them honestly, and that we would leave here today with a heart toward worship that we would acknowledge this very base truth, this very base reality, that you are God and that we are not. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. So like I said, Job chapter 40, verse 6. Job chapter 40, verse 6. 
on through 14. We already read 6 and 7. Look at verse 8. This is what God says. Before he gets to the leveling of the three challenges, this is what he said. Would you really challenge my justice? Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? As I said at the beginning of this series, as I said at the beginning of the Job series, that the primary question in Job is not, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? That's often what we think about when we think of the book of Job, but that's not the question asked. It's certainly not the question answered. The primary question in the book of Job is, how is God managing the world? By what standard is he using? And eventually you get to the point where you're asking, is he doing a good job at that? That's what Job is sort of bringing up here to the front. And that's why God is repeating the question or kind of stating it in such a way that you have to address it. God asked him, would you challenge my justice to make sure that you are just? And we can relate to that, right? You ever gone through a situation in which you know you did nothing wrong? You did nothing wrong. And so why do you deserve this? And so you start to feel like the world is not fair. Or if you were um, bold enough to say it, you would say that God is not fair. That he's not running this the way that you would want him to run these things. And so you really sort of ask yourself, is God just? But apart from the question itself, what it does is it brings up an interesting idea for us to contemplate or at least to carry with us. It's this, if God is repeating the question and if God is saying it, sort of summarizing all that Job has felt, that means at least two things. The first one, it means that God listens. That God listens and that God understands. All right, there's a number of times where we might feel like God doesn't understand us, that our friends don't understand us, that nobody understands what we're going through, and nobody's even listening to us. And it can be frustrating. It can be confusing. But at least in this, we know this, that God is listening and that he understands. I was having a hard week um, or a hard day this last week. I called a buddy of mine who's also a pastor, and we were talking about uh, some of the situations that we were going through. And at one point in the conversation, he says, uh, it's going to be fine, Josh. Listen, it's just Mondays. You're just feeling the Mondays, you know? And I responded to him and said, dude, it's Tuesday, and I don't think you're listening to me, you know? I was starting, to, starting not to feel like he was really appreciating, you know, calendars and my feelings and those sort of things. And so I had to really battle with that. But at least from this text, what we do understand is that God understands. What it's bringing up as we wrestle with this whole long story, this whole long prose of an innocent person dealing with something that they do not deserve, one thing that we're going to understand is this, that God understands. And so what it forces us to at least acknowledge and maybe carry with us throughout the rest of the thought experiment to carry with us and to kind of figure out is this. Maybe we don't understand. If God knows and understands, then maybe whatever's happening to me is not a matter of him not understanding. It's a matter of me not fully understanding what's going on. That's really kind of the idea that we're going to get before we dive a little further into these three challenges. And so in this ironic way, God is showing compassion by being very forceful and strong in his response. If you are not comfortable with the sort of um, teachings in the Bible in which God shows himself strong or forceful or in, uh, in your face, then this text is going to make you uncomfortable. All right, because that's just the way this text is. But we're going we're gonna to dive into it. We're going to do it. And, and as we look at these three challenges, here's what I'm going to ask you. 
As we look at these three challenges, I want you in your own heart, every man and woman, every person here listening to me, those of you who are listening online, and by the way, we are so glad that you are, I want you in your own heart to ask the question and then answer the question. I'm going to give you three questions. You ask those in your own heart and then answer those questions. The next one, look at this, uh, 40 verse 9. You can look at it where you are. Do you have an arm like God's? This is God asking Job. Do you have an arm like mine? Can your thunder, can you thunder with a voice like mine? Is your arm and your voice as strong as mine. What he's talking about is the overwhelming power of God. Arm representing his, um, his strength and what he is able to do and his voice representing this overwhelming uh, power in what he does. When God speaks, things happen. A little later on in the text, you can read it for yourself because it's fascinating. This is the verse, this is the text, this is the chapter and the beginning of the next chapter in which God brings up these two creatures called the Leviathan and the Behemoth. How many of you have ever seen a Leviathan or a Behemoth? Don't raise your hand, you've never seen one of these, all right? A couple of you are like, definitely, just the other day, I think, I think. It was definitely, that or a stray dog. Um, So, a Leviathan or a behemoth. These are two creatures that we honestly cannot tell you what they are, all right? We cannot tell you. Some people have um, theorized that they are dinosaurs, all right? And when you read the description of them, they look like dinosaurs, okay? So it kind of feels like dinosaurs. Other people have theorized that this is a hippo and a crocodile, all right? Same thing, dinosaurs, all right? And so there's, there's hippo, there's crocodile, dinosaurs, all that sort of stuff. Or some other people have theorized that maybe these are animals, in which we no longer have. In our modern history, where we have photos of certain animals that are now extinct. So that happens, all right? So there's animals that were and are not, right? And so either way, what's important to know and what's important to keep in mind is that the exact identity of these animals is not nearly as valuable to us as what God was trying to communicate by bringing them up. He's bringing up these terrifying Animals, these stronger, these bigger than life, these forces, these natural animals in which are um, fear striking. In verse 8 of the next chapter, when he's speaking about the Leviathan, he says, Lay a hand on him, and you will remember that battle and never repeat it. I mean, that's, that's manning up, all right? If you're going to fight a Leviathan, then that is manning up. They are ferocious and natural foes. The point of it is this. There are all sorts of natural enemies out there that we simply cannot in our own strength to defeat. We don't have the natural ability to defeat these things. I mean, we use high-powered rifles and hide in trees to kill deer. We're talking about a leviathan and a behemoth, right? And I'm not dogging on you that deer hunt. That's cool. That's, that's, that's awesome. But it would be cooler if you chased the thing down and fought it with your own hands. That that would be actually kind of cooler, right? Could you imagine doing that to a hippo or a crocodile? That's God's point here, is that you're just not as strong as you think you are. And he brings up that power in his voice. On, on July 4th, you know, when the fireworks were going off, and man, every year, I, I, every 4th of July and 5th and 6th and 3rd, um, I hear fireworks, right? In my neighborhood, everywhere. We hear those, right? And so it's not super scary. You know what they are. You know what they're, but... I've got to, I'll confess this to you, and I think some of you are as well. Like this. Every, every year, it seems like there's that one or two that go off that you're thinking, oh, that, that one went wrong. 
That was loud. That was too loud. Somebody, we just heard a murder. Um, that's because it's just so loud, right? So loud. It's like, I don't, that either, that was either a really big firework or a plane crashed because they're so loud and it strikes fear. You ever been surprised by thunder? And you know what, you're an adult. You know what thunder is, but you're thinking, ooh, that scared me just a little bit. In those experiences, then we know the power of noise, of volume. But with God, it's, it's even more impressive than that because the Bible says that God speaks it and it is. God speaks things into power. How often do we lull ourselves into some false sense of safety or security, thinking that our own voice or our own strength can get us out of any situation that we might find ourselves in? That you think to yourself, like, if I ever was to come across the wrong person at the wrong time in the wrong place, then, you know, I can, I can talk my way out of this or I can fight my way out of this. A lot of people walk around with this sense of security thinking that I can either speak my way or fight my way out of these things. And what God is doing to Job is pointing at nature to prove that that is wrong. It can be the force of a river, an avalanche, a bear, or another person with an ill intent to just prove to us that if we are honest, we are not nearly as strong as we think we are. So let me ask you, and you ask within your own heart, let God speak to your own soul and answer this question. Are you as strong as God? Are you as strong as God? Second question. Second challenge. Adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and clothe yourself with honor and glory. God doesn't give Job long enough to answer the question because we kind of know the answer, so he just jumps to the next challenge. Hey, stand up and get dressed. That's what God says. Stand up and dress yourself. At this point, God is challenging him on clothes. Not the sort of clothes that Job would wear, but the sort of clothes that God would wear. God tells him to put on majesty, splendor, honor, and glory. Clothing is an interesting topic in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but clothing is an interesting topic in the Bible. In the garden, when Adam and Eve fell, it says that they knew that they were naked and they felt shame. They felt shame and that God eventually clothes them. And so we see a natural need that God can provide, but we also see a spiritual need that God is going to impart, going to give them righteousness, which they need. They are naked and exposed, unrighteous, and so they ultimately need God's righteousness. And so you see that, you see in Revelation at the end of the Bible, you see um, the, the clothing of Jesus described on and on and on. There's all of these ideas about clothing and they mean more than just the fabric that a person was going to put on their body. In Job, this is brought up a number of times. Y'all remember earlier on in the story when Job is uh, first conflicted, he's first, uh, he's lost his wealth and his family and those sort of things. And Job says, in a very good day, he says, naked I came into this world and naked I will return. Meaning that apart from God, I have nothing. I have literally nothing. Clothing in that text means we ultimately have nothing. Naked we come into this world, naked we leave. And then in uh, chapter 7, verse 5, after he is afflicted physically, this is what Job says, my flesh is clothed with maggots and encrusted with dirt, my skin forms scabs and then oozes. So here again, clothing, the language of clothing, the, the language of being covered is this idea that he is absolutely without. 
that his clothing represents what he is not. So you see that Job, and with humanity, the concept of clothing is not just something that covers your body, but there's more going on there. And in this text, we're talking about the clothing of God. Psalms 93 verse 1 says, The Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. And so in this text where God is asking him to adorn or to clothe himself in majesty, splendor, honor, and glory, what God is saying is that he is the creator king. That this world is not just place where he lives. That this universe is not just the place of his abode. He created it. He fashioned it. And now he reigns and rules over it as the creator king. That's what God is saying. And he's asking Job, did you do that? Can you step up to the throne room of God and put on the robe of creator king and the crown and sit here and rule over all of creation? This isn't, this isn't different than the way that we ascribe value to clothes, right? Sometimes people, not everybody, but a lot of people will, will judge another person based on the style of clothing that they wear or the brand of that clothing that we allow um, the clothing on a person's body to ascribe to them some sort of worth or some sort of ability. We will look at certain people and say that when they're in this uniform, that they're able to do certain things, that, that if you're going to be a, I don't know, if you're going to be like a good preacher, you're going to wear a suit and tie or something ridiculous like that. And we'll put that sort of value on people and their clothing, trying to ascribe it in that way. But in this text... What is shown here is that the value of the clothing is not in the clothing, but in what the person can do. What the person is able to do. And in this text, it's God. He is able to rule and to reign and to create. He is the creator king. So God is asking him, can you clothe yourself in that way? Can you make yourself of that sort of value? The first one is his strength. The second one is his clothing. And the question is for you as well. In your own mind, can you sit on the throne of God? Can you rule and reign the way that God can? Are you as strong as he is? Can you sit on his throne? And then look at this third challenge, verse 11 through 13. It takes up the longest portion of the conversation, but it needs very little explanation. He says, pour out your raging anger. Look on every proud person and humiliate him. Look on every proud person and humble him. Trample the wicked where they stand. Hide them together in the dust. Imprison them in the grave. Notice all of the action words that he says. Pour out, look, look, humble, humiliate, trample, hide, imprison. What God is telling him to do is to Act. In these last lines, God is challenging Job to step up to the judge's bench, to approach the throne and to take the scepter, to grab this by the reins. Job has made the observation that the wicked go unpunished. That's what Job said. He said that the wicked go unpunished, that evildoers are not being judged by God, that they mistreat others, and that they take advantage of the weak and the fatherless. And so God responds to that by saying, can you do better? Can you rule this whole universe better? If you can judge better than I can judge, then God says, judge. Step up and do this. 
It is all about the action, especially in these two phrases. Look on every proud person and humiliate him. Look on every proud person and humble him. What God is doing, again, is summarizing what Job has complained about. And he's saying what essentially we would say is, if you feel froggy, jump. That's the way that God is saying it. You've been critiquing the ways of God, so then God, do it better than me. Now, it's very important that we realize and remember that at no part in the book of Job does God or the author of Job ever ascribe any sort of sin to Job. He is not sinning. He has not crossed the line. But what God is doing in these three challenges is kind of saying, before you do, you're getting really close to that line. But before you do, consider a few things. Are you as strong as God? Are you as majestic as God? Are you as capable of God? Isn't it funny? Haven't, have, have you noticed this? See if I'm the only person that has noticed this. I am constantly amazed at how people who were not even in the room have a full and divine understanding of not only what happened, but what should have happened and exactly how everyone should have thought about it. You ever thought about that? You can talk to people who have never in their lives led anything, but they will tell you exactly how anything should go. It doesn't matter if it's the U.S. president, the pastor of your church, a member, the members of the board, the bosses in a planning session, your parents, or anything. There are people who are so capable of understanding all things, even though they've never led anything, that will just let other people know exactly how. I have learned that unless I was in the room, then I ought to keep my opinions about how things went down to myself. Because there's just things you don't know perfect example of this is um, coming from the Metroplex, coming from Dallas. One of our favorite people to talk about is Jerry Jones, all right, the owner of the Cowboys, and for good reason, all right, and so we have, we have a lot of opinions about the way that he runs the Cowboys because we are football fans. We love football. We want to talk about football. We want to talk about the players and the organization, but what we often forget about Jerry Jones in those conversations is I'm not real sure he cares about football at all. He cares about making money. And in that case, he does a really good job at that. And so if you think you can run the Cowboys better than Jerry Jones can, and listen to me, I think you can. I'm on your side. <laughs> Any one of you fools can do that, all right? Just take over the Cowboys, fine by me. But if you think you can run the Cowboys better than he can, then walk down to Frisco, go to the star, and hand Jerry Jones a check for $5.7 billion, and then run it. Because what I've often thought to myself, anytime that I feel like critiquing Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, I often think to myself, if I owned the Cowboys, you know how much I would care what other people think? None. Because he owns the team. We think of it in terms of football. He thinks of it in terms of making money, and he's doing pretty good at that. So please hear me. I'm not defending Jerry Jones. I, I want to make that very clear. Go on record. <laughs> I'm just saying that in a lot of situations in life, we think we can do something it's like, um, oh, what's his name? Tyson, I think. Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. We all think that we can lead anything until we're the leaders. Same thing. Think about it like this. Same thing when we critique the way that God runs the universe. If you think you can do better, then do better. Be God and be a better God than God is. It's a three-point challenge it's a three-point challenge to all of us. Are you as strong as God? Are you as majestic as God? 
Do you have God's capability? And if you can, then stand there. Look, that's what God says in 14. And listen to me. This whole text to me feels like Job tiptoed right up to the line of being disrespectful. Right up to the line there. He almost crossed that line. And in response to that, I feel like God came right up to his toes. Put toe to toe. And he responded to him in a firm and loving way. He says to him, are you as strong as me? Are you as majestic as me? Can, do you have my capabilities? So he doesn't answer Job's question. He just asks Job three more questions. Then in verse 14, in my mind's eye, I'm just saying, in my mind's eye, I heard God wrap his arms around Job and very lovingly and compassionately say, if you can, then I will confess to you that your own right hand can deliver you. He says, listen, friend, son, listen, love, if you can, then save yourself. Which is ironic because we've just read 40 chapters in which Job cannot save himself. Where he constantly goes to God. And so in this compassionate, loving way, and hear me say this, God is not being mean. God is not being rude. God is not being too heavy. God is being compassionate. God is letting Job recognize what one of the most beautiful things that we should recognize is this, that God is God and that we are not. It is incredibly helpful for all humans at some point to recognize the reality that God is God and that we are not. And that's what God is doing to Job in this moment. That's what Job is, or God is doing to Job in this text. He is showing Job that he needs God. So I feel that this is, uh, this text is really on the nose. It's really on in the, a confrontational. It's really in um, your face. And so let me give you the, the point of the sermon in a similar manner. All right. And it might even sound offensive, but I hope that you will take this. In a similarly direct and blunt way, let me tell you the point of this text. Humble yourself or God will humble you. Bend your knee or he will break your leg. Bend your knee or he will break your leg and it will be for your good. At some point, you have to recognize that you're not God. You are not God. You don't run this place. You don't run anything. You just do what you can. So what should we do? What should we respond in this way? Well, I think first of all, it's just to repent, to turn away from the idea that you were in charge in the first place, that you are strong enough in the first place, that you are smart enough in the first place, that you are wise enough in the first place. And I know none of us woke up one morning and says, today's the day that I kick God off of his throne. But somewhere in our own wicked and, and twisted hearts, we act that way. We get mad. We get indignant when things do not go our way. We get mad at other people and think that they have some so, uh, somehow impugned our sovereignty when they do not act or behave or believe the way that we think that they should believe. So we should start by repenting from the idea that we were God in the first place and then believing that he is. Believe and trust in him because this is ultimately what God does give us. If you are going to read Job and try to figure out, you know, you see those cartoons where there's like E equals MC squared and all these dots and stuff. If you're going to do that and figure out the way that God runs the world, that's not what's in here. In fact, it's the exact opposite. 
God answers back to Job and to us this way. I'm not going to explain it to you because I'm God and you can't understand it in the first place. It's not a matter of understanding. It's a matter of trust. That's really the hardest part about Christianity is walking up to God and life and darkness and pain and going, I don't understand. I can't understand, but I trust the one who does. And then we live our lives in worship. We repent and believe. And that's what Christianity calls, um, in in an older way of saying it, that's getting saved, coming to Jesus, trusting in him as your savior. Repent and believe. And then for those of us who have done that, we live our lives in worship where every step of the way, we stop trying to manage according to our own will and we start stewarding according to his will. We start living our lives in a way that says that all of my strength All of my voice, all of my clothing, and all of my abilities are leveraged toward the creator king. Because he's God and I am not. So we repent, we believe, and then we worship. Look, I hope that you ask those questions in your own heart. If you're watching at home, if you're in this room, I hope you ask those questions. And if you ask those questions of your own heart and you can answer those questions in the affirmative, yes, you are stronger than God. Yes, you are just as majestic as God, creator, king. And yes, you have his capabilities. Then you are good. You're fine. You do not need a savior and you will be fine for all of eternity. But if you did not answer those questions in the affirmative, then my friend, you need a savior. You need God. And so today, repent and believe in him. Uh, I'm reading through 1 Peter in my morning devotions, my morning Bible uh, reading, you know. It's not anything fancy. I just read a chunk of the Bible and, and think on it and pray on it and write in my Bible, those sort of things. Long after the sermon was done, this text came, uh, came up in my reading. And, and I hope you will allow me to shoehorn it into the text right here, okay? I just want to share something that I read this week. I thought it was cool. And as I read it, maybe you in your own brain figure out why I'm putting it in the text. This is what 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6 says. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. We read that text and we think he will exalt you means something along the lines of if I'm really humble, if I'm really nice to people, then one day I'll be the boss, the CEO. God will exalt me. I'll be the chief, the superintendent, the principal. If I am really humble or if I'm really like fake humble, then one day God will feed my ego, you know, and he will make me the boss. But the context of 1 Peter, especially in this section of the text, is suffering, is persecution. So he's not saying if you are humble, then one day you'll be the boss. What he is saying that is if you are being persecuted, if you are suffering, humble yourself in that persecution and God will lift you up out of it. That's what Peter says. That's what Job needed to hear. The most heroic thing that I ever did, I was 15. I was 15. I was sitting on a porch swing on the phone. I was probably talking to some girls because that's just the way I rolled back then, you know. 
I had one of those phones that you have to plug up, you know, um, and I was just outside of the house far enough where the, the range met. Some of you young people have no idea what I'm talking about, but phones, you used to have to stay near it, all right? And so I had this phone, and, and I was out there swinging on the porch swing, doing my, doing my thing, you know. I'm talking on the phone, and down off in this direction was my much younger brother, and he was playing in the dirt, you know, doing what kids do. I remember he had a bucket and like a, a spade, and he's pouring in there, and pouring, I don't know, you know, whatever they do. And so he was sitting down there and he was doing this. And a little while into this, or as I'm sitting there, I hear a dog bark and then growl, okay? And so I look off here to my left. Remember, my brother's off that direction. I look off here to my left, and I kid you not, there's a great Dane. And he is running at my brother, and he didn't look like he wanted to play. All right, and so he just takes off running. I don't know where, where's this dog coming from? Whose dog is this, you know? Just take off, reminder, at least your dog. All right, and so there's this dog running and it's running at my brother. And so I don't, I drop the phone and I take off running toward him. I'm 15, right? I'm not a hero. And remember at this time, um, I look kind of like a lollipop with twigs. Um, just, just a giant head, little skinny body and these twig arms, you know. And so I run awkwardly as fast as I can towards my brother. And as would happen, I meet my, I meet that dog right where my brother is. We just timed it out perfectly. And we meet right there. My brother's sitting on the floor there. He's crying by this point. He doesn't know what's going on. And I just haul off and I hit that dog right in between the eyes. As hard as I just punch that dog and it whimpers and it runs away. And I grab my brother and I run him back into the house. And I mean, I'm not saying I'm a hero, but pretty much I was a hero. All right. I mean, I don't know how else you can define it. It was heroic. I was a man. And, I, and I'm not, I'm not even, um, I'm not even too uh, proud to tell you that I peaked at that moment. I have never done anything nearly as heroic, ever. I mean, that was the height of my masculinity. In fact, I have tried to, I have nearly died trying to get away from whatever in the lake just touched my foot. Uh, I've walked on water trying to get away from that sort of stuff. I'm not, I'm not like a hero or nothing, but in that moment I did. But I got to remind myself of this. That was just a dog. That was just one dog. That's it. And there's some of you in this room right now, you have rushed into burning houses and rescued people. You have run into the gunfire while other people are running out of the gunfire. Some of you have jumped across, I don't know, restaurant tables and, and Heimlich maneuvered whatever stranger you needed to do. And you have done heroic, amazing things. And listen to me, I don't mind saying that. I don't mind saying that humanity, you people, people are amazing. I know some people like preachers just a dog on humans and we're not, all, we're not ever allowed to tell you like, good job and you're amazing and you're beautiful and you're creative and you're loving. But that's the reality of the truth. I will tell you this, humanity is amazing, creative and smart and we do all sorts of amazing things and you are. But also, at the height of that, we're still not God. We still need God. And the most masculine man of, feminine woman of, step up moment that you can ever have is when you bend your knees before the creator king and you recognize that he is God and that you are not. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family.
Thank you for listening.